Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. That's a very cool story about how God is uh, working in her life and working in our lives. And I, I do want to say that um, I appreciate the motivation of what, how she has responded to something that Karen and I have prayed about and done um, for our church. And it's, it's not about us. It's, it's really not about us. It's, it's about understanding that there are times where all of us have to pray and say, God, how can I be a participant in helping the mission of the church move forward. And praise God, we are able and capable of doing something like that. And it's just, it's just us obeying God. It's simply that. And hopefully that's true of everyone uh, and all of us. And so if, um, and I appreciate Chris, I think she stands as an example of what can be done and what all of us can do in some way, shape, or form to uh, talk about it. And this, this, this video, which was done without the consideration of this message today, um, is, is, it ties right into what we're going to talk about. We're in this series called Today's Battles. Today's Battles, we talked about anxiety and how the, the enemy wants us to fear life. And we realize we don't have to fear life. We just cast our anxieties on God and he takes care of us, right? And we can trust him. We, last week we talked about marriage and and, and relationships and how God wants to ruin that because that is the, really the model of our relationship with him. And if you didn't get to see that message, I would encourage you to, especially if you're married um, or planning on being married or looking for a date, um, that would be a good video to see. Um, <clears throat> and today we're talking about greed. Greed. Now before you go and you turn your... your, your volume down or turn our volume down or, or, or think, oh no, I'm not a greedy person. Let's, let's talk about this because I think that the, the idea of greed is a very interesting one and it, it is pervasive in the church. And if you're here for the first time or maybe you're here just searching, kicking the tires of faith, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to talk the church down, but I am going to encourage the church to rise up in this area of greed. Because there's some, some information that I will share that will maybe shock you, maybe not shock you. But I hope what it, this does is motivate us all to understand that even though we are living in, uh, in one of the most historic moments of inflation, where the rumors of recession are happening, um, there is, let me say this, there is, and don't ever forget this, there is never a bad time to live in God's economy. There is never a bad time to live in God's economy. Amen? I mean, there is, you cannot go wrong doing what God wants us to do in his economy. You can go wrong trying to respond to America's economy or the world economy or whatever, but you can never go wrong being obedient and living inside of God's economy because he is the provider and he is the one that owns it all in the first place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, that's a good one. That was, uh, you guys, nice job. That was a good amen. I didn't even have to amen myself. It's good. This word greed means having a voracious appetite. Have you ever had a voracious appetite? I have one daily. 
I have a voracious appetite daily. Uh, we had uh, great Mexican food with my brother and, and sister-in-law yesterday, and just you know, and I always kind of, I'm always a second helping guy, um, I, and it shows. I know, and I understand that, but um, <clears throat> I just love the second helping because the first helping just is an appetizer. Really, you know, that first plate is just an appetizer. The second plate is the one that fills me up. And, um, but I, 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 if you have a voracious appetite, you always want more. You always want more. And that is the basic and clearest definition of greed that there is, is that you always want more. And sometimes more is defined as I always want to keep what I have so that I can Pretend I have more when really all you're doing is saving what you have. Not a bad idea, not, not a, a bad thing to save money or to invest or to, to do those kinds of things, but sometimes I think we have the perception that if I have more, I have more. When really all you have is what God's given you to be a steward of instead of having more really interesting thought there's reasons for greed there's reasons that people want more one is fear uh, the the hoarding disorder is a fear disorder it's a it's a disorder that's most often motivated by fear if I give this away or if I throw this away I'm going to lose it and I won't have it when I need it and so I keep it and maybe somebody's in the room like that, that you keep everything because you're like, oh, I could use that. Especially mechanics and, 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 and uh, carpenters and those kind of guys. I mean, they're always saving and holding on to things because, oh, I could use that hose or I could use that nut or that screw or that, that bolt. I could use that somewhere down the road. It's gonna, I'm going to need it. And you have buckets and buckets full of screws and nuts and um, and there may be a screw loose, but it's not in that bucket. <laughs> Fear. Power is another reason for greed. People are grabbing for power, believing that if I just have more money, I have more power. More things, I have more power. Control is another reason for greed. If I can just control everything, nothing's out of control. It's all in my hands. It's all here, and I have control of it. And if I can just keep it all, then I will not lose control. Want, just a desire for more. That voracious appetite, that appetite that just wants more and more and more and keep eating and, 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 and filling and, and just, I want more. And the more I have, the better I look and the better I feel and the better. And, and what happens with greed is that there is no satisfying this attack from the enemy. This battle that we fight, is even as, especially as Americans, is that we are told that if we have more, we are better off. We are more powerful, more, more influential, we're more in control. And, and in some cases, you could, you could make the argument that some of that is true. But it's not true in God's economy. Yes, we can have more. Yes, we can have a lot. Yes, we can have... All these things, but if, if, if we don't have, and I'll read a scripture to you in just a moment, but if, if we don't have a first and foremost priority in relationship to him, with everything we have, you'll find out we have nothing. We have nothing. 
Proverbs 21, 25 says this. says, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day, he, he, all day long he craves for more. But listen to the end of that. But the righteous give without sparing. All day long he craves for more. Greed is never satisfied. But generosity is always looking for opportunity. Why? Because God keeps filling that cup when it's going out. Ephesians 5, 3 through 7 says this, and this is, this is a hard statement to, 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 to read and to listen to. Ephesians 5, 3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Look where that is in the list. Because there are, these are improper for God's holy people. In other words, they're, they're uncharacteristic of a Christ-like life. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Language of gratitude should be coming out of our mouths. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things. God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And Paul is saying, don't partner up with greedy people. Don't hang on to the shirt tails. Don't grab the... the, the the, the partnership of someone who is greedy because you will get caught up in that. You'll get caught up in that mentality, that thinking, and it's dangerous. But the powerful thing here is simply this, is greed is associated with idolatry. Greed is associated, it, the greedy person, the person who wants more, the person who is hoarding, the person who is thinking that more is better, is leaning into idolatry. Now, I do want to say this. I don't think there's a problem with being rich or poor. I don't think there's a problem with having a lot of things and a few things. But I do believe that if there's a reason for having a lot or more or wanting more and working and doing everything we can to get more, and the motivation is for power, fear, control, those kinds of things, then we are out of God's will. And we are not being obedient to the plan that he has for us. Greed is associated with idolatry. It's really interesting. I'm going to share some statistics with you. 5% of churchgoers in America tithe. 5%. Five out of every 100 people in America who call themselves church-going people tithe. That's a crazy number. What that says is 95% don't. And that's, that's uh, done by a, a church research company called Church Development. One and a half million people tithe out of the 247 million U.S. citizens who identify themselves as Christians. Now, I, I think that's a, a hugely inflated number on the 245, 247 million side. I think a lot of people in America, that was, I mean, that's... Over two-thirds, almost two-thirds of America call themselves Christian. Not sure that's how accurate that is. But at the same time, one and a half million people tithe of those people. That's crazy. 
70, this is a fascinating statistic, excuse me. Um, 77% of tithers give more than 10%. People who learn that tithing is a, a great experience are able to give more. If every Christian tithes 10%, faith organizations would have an extra $139 billion a year. If every Christian tithes in America, we would have $139 billion more to do ministry with. And yes, it takes people to do ministry, and, and ministry is always about people. But if you want to, to do ministry and, and get the funding for it, it takes money to do ministry. It's just a reality. So those are statistics, especially the first two, that the, the 5% of churchgoers tithe, the 1.5 million tithe out of 247 million. That, that shows us that the church is holding or withholding, if you will, money from God. Now, the beautiful thing about this is, and, and you need to know this, you'll never be billed by Journey Church. You, 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 no one's going to come knocking on your door, where's your tithe? Maybe God. Actually, definitely God. But not Pastor Ricardo, not a board member, not a bookkeeper, because this is between you and God. But my responsibility as a pastor is to preach this and preach God's word and let it be. And I believe this body is a godly body who will engage with God. One illustration of greed from Scripture is this in Luke chapter 12 it says this someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me so there's somebody in in the crowd with Jesus and he's saying teacher will you uh, be the arbiter of my my brother and I's uh, inheritance and he said just tell him to split it with me and Jesus replied man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you then he said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then it says this very powerful statement. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Powerful. Because I believe that in America, especially in our culture, it seems like if, if we have a lot of things and people see that, then they're going, man, they're doing good. They're blessed. And that, we, we kind of define blessing with quantity, and it's not there. If, if that's the case, then Jesus wasn't blessed at all because he didn't even have a pillow to put his head on. And so we have to understand that life isn't defined by what we have or whether we have more of it. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for you for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is the bottom line. This is how it will be for, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich 
towards God. Pretty straight up, huh? You guys are really super quiet right now. (laughs) This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And it's true, really. I mean, up to this point in history, there's a pretty much 99.99999% chance that you and I are going to pass away. Right? And you can put a U-Haul on, on, the, on the hearse, and you can pack that casket with all that you want, but it's not going with you. It's, it's, it's going nowhere, and it's not going to go to anybody else if you do that. And it ends up in somebody else's hands. Who knows? And so how do we manage the heart? How do we manage the greed? How do we battle this idea of having more and wanting control and holding back and withholding from God and giving God our leftovers? So let's talk about that just for a minute. And here's the first point. Generosity changes the way we live so we can live changed. Remember this statement. Generosity changes the way we live so we can live changed. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, become a generous person. Because it will change you while you're changing the lives and and impacting the lives of others. If you become generous, it is powerful. And it changes our lives. Our budgets don't need to adjust. Our budget should adjust to our generosity, not the other way around, where our generosity is adjusted to our budget. Kind of what we do is we go, okay, I have all these bills, boom, 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 boom. And then at the end we go, okay, and this is what's left over. (gasps) Not much. And that's what God gets. And I'm telling you, if you will do that the opposite, if you will make your budget and put God in it first, the tithe, most importantly, and then offerings and generosity beyond that, then you will experience the joy of seeing God do his thing in your life without question. I've lived this life for almost 40 years now, and I know without question that God is faithful and will never, never not supply your need. And that... And, and I know there, there may be people in the room that, well, I missed some bills. And I, I, there's, there's reasons sometimes that he doesn't meet the need because we've gotten ourselves in trouble. And he helps us. But often when we get ourselves in trouble, we stop doing the thing we should be doing, which is tithing and giving God his, his, what, what he expects of us. And as a result, we have no means because we've, we've kinked the hose. We've kinked the hose and there's no longer a flow that can go through our lives because we've kinked the hose by stopping to do what we should be doing in the first place. Space to give will give space to God to move. And if we will make space for giving, then we will, make, we will see God move and he will do it. Matthew 19, verse 21 says this, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, and he's talking to this rich young ruler. So if you go to 
uh, Matthew chapter 19, and you look up rich young ruler, you'll read this entire story. I'm just going to read one little part. But he says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So this rich young ruler was saying, Jesus, how do, how do I become saved? How do I get in a relationship with God? And God, Jesus said, well, obey the commandments. I do that. Okay, then uh, what else do I need to do? Then give everything away and then follow me. Let your life be changed so you can live right. See, he was holding back everything for himself. He was in control. Maybe he had fear. Maybe he was holding back because he, he wanted control. Maybe he thought he had power. He was a rich young ruler. He's a young guy with all kinds of money. And Jesus said, really, the heart of the issue is not that you're obeying all the laws. It's your heart is still holding on to the world. And so generosity changes the way we live so we can live changed. And that's exactly what Jesus was telling the rich young ruler. Generosity is not the leftovers of what we have, but the first best planned and cheerful part of what we have. That's what giving should be. That's what tithing should be. God comes first in all things in our time, talent, and treasure. He should be the first one that gets the best of everything we have. The tithe is the first fruits. And, and if you go through scripture, Malachi 3 talks about it. I'll read some of that in just a moment. But the tithe is, uh, happened even before the law came into existence. Abraham was giving. Abel, Cain and Abel. The whole reason Cain killed Abel was because Abel gave a great offering to God. And Cain brought the leftovers. And God said, I love Abel's offering. And God said to Cain's offering, no, that's not an acceptable offering. Then Cain got all ticked off and killed his brother. Sometimes it's dangerous giving correctly. Not necessarily the best motivation to give, but... 1 Corinthians 9 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should get whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amazing promise. This should be on everybody's refrigerator, mirror, wherever you put great scriptures, you should have this one on there to remind you that our giving, it, it often determines our blessing. If we hold back, God's going to hold back. If we give generously, then we're going to reap generously. And I've experienced that over and over and over again in my life when uh, things seem like it's, this isn't a good time to to give and you give, then God somehow comes through. I don't get it all. I can't explain it all. I know it's a faith experience in giving to God. So we need to understand that generosity changes the way we live so we can live changed. We need to understand that God is, that should not get the leftovers, that he should get the best, the first, and the planned part of our giving. And it should be cheerful then we need to understand that generosity is not transactional. Generosity does not have ifs. I will give if. It's not a transaction we're making with God. It's not like we're buying his favor or, or buying the blessings or looking for this, this thing back. 
Because when giving really happens, it comes out of our heart. It comes out of this joy. But most importantly, what I want you to hear is giving is a worship expression. This is a powerful passage of scripture. It's been read over and over. It's been misused in some cases, but it's really powerful. In Malachi chapter 3, it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. And so God is telling the Israelites, hey, I've kept my promise and I will keep my promise to to save the, the nation of Israel. And he's asking them to come back because they've not obeyed his commands. And then then it says, but you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And this is why I believe that the tithe belongs to the church that you attend, the church that you go to. And I'm not promoting just finances here. I'm saying that when we give, we give to the storehouse. And the storehouse has a responsibility to take care of the people that it serves and and its community. That's what a church should do. That's what church funding does. We have a building, so we have to pay those bills. But this, this building is to be a community center. A place where we reach out, we keep our arrows out instead of just in, and we continue to minister everything we can. And we do that as as the means are there to touch the lives of the people in our community. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture where it says, test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And, and, and there's another way to say that. I will prevent uh, credit cards from devouring your income. I will, <laughs> do you hear that? And the vines in your fields will not drop the fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God desires to bless his people, but he can't bless his people if we continue to kink the hose. And so tithes and offerings. Now, here's the powerful part about this. God doesn't need our money. He needs our worship. We're robbing him not of money because he could create it, he could speak it into existence, but what we're robbing him of is our trust in him, our worship of him, our, our respect of him, our, 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 our willingness to say, God, I trust you that you can do more with 90% in my life than I can do with 100%. Amen. That's the truth. I think too often we've tried to as pastors, we try and preach this passage of Scripture and say, God's money, God's money. It's not about his money. It's about what he needs in our worship, our respect of him, our love of him, our trust of him. And that's what I believe the tithe is all about, is trust. It's hard giving up 10%. It does change your lifestyle. But then God blesses the life. And I promise you, I promise you, that's the way it works. 
And lastly, generosity will grow your view of God. It will grow your view of God. When, we, when my trust in God grows, so will my generosity. But quite often it doesn't come before. It comes, it's it's the, the, the egg comes before the chicken in this case. Where generosity has to be practiced and then God shows up. And then he builds your trust. Because he comes through just like his word says. And so quite often we kind of wait and, and say, God, when you give me the lotto and when I win that billion dollars and that's happening across, then I will be a giver. No. No matter, and this is the beauty of tithing. This is the beauty of giving. God puts a percentage on tithing, not an amount. And so tithing is about a percentage of your income, which makes it equity for all. All of us have the same expectation no matter what level we earn. So 10% of 100 bucks is 10 bucks. 10% of 1,000 is, is 100. And that's about as far as math as I'm going to take it. <clears throat> but if we will learn that we can trust and we learn that we can, we can give that, then God does with 90 what we cannot do with 100. Because we want to control. Philippians 4, 11, 13 through 13 says this. I am not saying this because I'm in need. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. Paul the Apostle talking to a Philippian church. And he's commending them for their faithfulness. And he's saying, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I don't need money from you. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In other words, I, with God, I can live what, with whatever he gives me. And I can be content. I can be happy. What we're taught is I need more. I have to have more. I, I, need to, I, I need to hold on to. I need to control. I need to make sure that I'm doing everything right. And I, I, need, I can't let go of any funds. I can't do this because if I do, then I will lose control. And I have fear of that. And I won't be able to pay my bills. And, I won't be able, and we, we come up and pretty soon, are, are you stressed like I'm stressed? No. That's what not trusting God does. It says Okay, I'm in control. It's all on me. You want to take the, the, the weight off? Tithe and be generous. And when you do that, God's in control. God's in control. So if we change how we live so we can give, then we will be changed. And yes, you'll have to make hard decisions. You might have to do without with some things. When you start tithing, if you're not tithing right now and you're maybe you're doing 1%, maybe you're doing 2%, maybe you're doing nothing, maybe you're doing 10%, you realize that you know, when you go to the bank and you apply for a loan and they tell you that you can borrow so much but you realize that your tithe has to come out first, then you realize you can't borrow as much as the bank thinks you can borrow. And I'm not, I'm not endorsing borrowing. I know some people are like, oh, well, he's, you know. But do you understand that, that the life change 
to bring the change in life will cost us at first and, 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 and maybe for a long time, but God will bring the blessing. And I've seen it and I've seen it and I've seen it. So we need to change how we live so we can give. We need to give the first, the best, and the planned part of our finances. This is knowing that we are going to give. We choose to give. And we worship God with our giving, our tithes, our worship experience. God, I trust you. I love you so much. Thank you for giving me everything. Thank you for asking me to be a steward of what you've given me. And God, I give it back to you. And all he's asking for is 10%. And then we grow in our trust with God. I, I understand we're in, inflation is crazy. I went shopping the other day for groceries and I'm like, what? I get that. I get that a recession might be coming or it's here, whoever you want to listen to. And the reality of that is, is that there's not a, there's never a bad time to be part of God's economy. Because in any economy we experience in our world, he's in charge of our lives. And so we can't go wrong. We can't go wrong. We can make mistakes with our money. We can do things with our money that cost us and get us in a bind, or we can be irresponsible. We can do all those things. But in the, in the, in the end, if we will obey God, he will help us get out of those holes. He will help us get into those places of blessing. And he will take care of every need we have. We need to do battle against this because this, if we don't get this, it limits the church. Now, I'm not just talking about journey. I'm not just talking about paying bills or paying pastors or whatever. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the, the effort that we can make to go and make a difference in this world. And collectively, maybe you feel like I can't make much of a difference, but collectively, we can, we can do some damage to the enemy's camp. We can go around the world and build churches. We can go here and feed the hungry. We can do all kinds of things as we collectively work together and become generous people as a church. So I encourage you today, don't compare yourself to the national statistics. Don't look around and say, well, I know they give or this gives or it's between you and God right now. There's no statistic you're trying to match up to. It's you and God. We, again, we won't come knocking on your door. We won't send invoices out. None of that. It's between you and the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you've given us so much. I thank you that we have the ability to worship you with what we have. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would bless your church. Bless each person in this room, Lord, as we collectively gather as a church in a building, Lord, to glorify your name. May we do it with everything we have. Our time, talent, our treasure. May we take our time and honor you. May we take our talent and give it all to you. May we take every penny that you have and honor you with it. Lord, and we, may we start tithing. May we continue to give generously. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct the steps that we take, Lord, to be good stewards of everything you've given us. And as a church, Lord, as an as a organization, may we honor you with every penny we spend. 
Lord, may we honor you with every cent that we, we, we use to glorify your name and to, to, to pay the bills and to take care of the staff and to do ministry in our world. May it glorify you. Because ministry is happening here. Life change is happening. Power is flowing through you, uh, out of you, in through us and out into this church and into the world. And I pray that you continue that work in the name of Jesus. I give you praise, I give you honor, and I give you glory. And I pray, Father, for anybody in this room that is, is thinking, I got to start this, I got to get started. Give them the motivation, give them the confidence, give them the trust, and bless them accordingly. And I thank you and I praise you for that in Jesus' name. And maybe you're here online, maybe you're here in this room and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ. The first thing is not to worry about your money. Not to worry about your possessions, not to worry about your time, talent, and treasure. It's to worry about your heart. Where are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you have yet to accept him, that's where you start. And when you give your life to Jesus, it's a powerful experience. And so right now, I want to encourage you. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want the hope of eternal life, you want your sins to be completely gone, simply pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes and I need your forgiveness. And based on the work you did on the cross, I pray that you forgive me of my sins and I accept that forgiveness right now. And thank you for making me clean and whole and pure. Lord, I believe that you were raised from the dead, Jesus, and I know that now I have the hope of eternal life, that I will spend eternity with you in heaven. And I thank you and I praise you for that. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.